Hello and welcome. My name is Kathleen Timpson and I am an associate professor of nursing at University of Nevada, Las Vegas. I'm also the director of the Doctorate of Nursing Practice Program at the university as well. Uh, additionally, I am one of the co-founders of the Academy of Forensic Nursing and have been involved in forensic nursing for about 20 years. My focus has been twofold in forensics, that is in the areas of elder abuse, clinical identification of abuse, as well as in human trafficking. I'm here today to discuss with you uh, and share uh, some of the contemporary findings relative to the topic of forced organ harvesting. Forced organ harvesting was um, a fairly new concept to me up until a couple of years ago when the topic was introduced to the Academy of Forensic Nursing uh, with an organization that we have partnered with called Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting. And DAFO, as we refer to it, uh, has been in existence since 2005. And they are a global organization of primarily physicians who have um, really been dedicated and committed to advancing um, the clinical arena's knowledge of the practice of forced organ harvesting, specifically in the country of China. Uh, in that uh, work uh, that we are partnered to advance, um, we have been able to engage in a number of activities to help to expand their audience from physicians to nurses and specifically forensic nurses um, through a couple of different means that I'll circle back to at the end of the, of the uh, interview. Um, forced organ harvesting is again, not a new problem that exists, but it is one that is not well um, uh, advanced in terms of media coverage, uh, and an understanding of the processes that are involved in it, uh, as well as, you know, really appreciating the human rights violation that's occurring. And as I begin my work with one of our other uh, officers and founders of the Academy, um, Deb Holbrook, what we came to find out in our research was that, um, relationships with China, with our federal government, as well as other governments, is very tight. And uh, we're very dependent as a, a society upon uh, doing business with China. And perhaps that's why we don't do enough to call out this atrocity against uh, humankind. So to kind of give you a background of what forced organ harvesting um, involves. Um, I'll just talk about the fact that the, uh, the Chinese Communist Party or CCP in China uh, regulates the practice of transplant tourism. Transplant tourism is the business that again, the Chinese government endorses uh, as a means of generating revenue, and it's quite a lucrative business. And all reports have shown that in 2019, the revenues that were 
generated in China related to forced argon harvesting and transplant tourism uh, were at uh, quoted to be at $2.2 billion of, of income to the country. So that's quite alarming. But to the point of what forced argon harvesting involves is that um, in China, there are a number of different religious persuasions and beliefs that people have relative to whether that being Christian, whether it's Buddhist, Taoist, and there is a, a, a spiritual practice called Falun Gong. And Falun Gong, when you, I'm sure you go to ask Dr. Google about that, um, you'll find that it is a spiritual belief system that looks at uh, really mindful meditation and a combination of a number of um, practices uh, to reduce stress and to um, manage uh, and focus intention. So there's nothing against the, the, the Communist Party or any type of political persuasion. Rather, it is an individual belief system about spirituality relative to mindfulness and prayerful thought. Um, however, the CCP looks at that as uh, a dissuasion from following Communist Party belief systems and practices. So in the, the Republic of China, uh, persons who are religious practitioners are going about their daily activities and um, being out in public, walking the streets, um, are forcefully detained by the CCP and by uh, law enforcement authorities uh, as they're going about their daily business. And um, detainment includes um, not even having their name taken in some cases, but rather taking a, a swab of their DNA by getting that sample through uh, swabbing their buccal canal or their inside of their mouth, their cheek. Uh, and the purpose of that is to identify their DNA material and their genetic um, transcript. From there, when you have tourism related to healthcare, uh, which is a very um, lucrative business that a lot of foreign countries do embark upon, some sort of clinical or medical or surgical transplant tourism, and it's under the guise of you can go on the internet and identify what type of a procedure you want to engage in or a consult to get. Um, you make your appointment online and you fly to that country after you pay your fee. That country hosts you, <coughs> excuse me, in a, quite a posh hotel. Uh, all the services are included in the cost of your travel there uh, and your stay and your medical care, whatever that be, uh, is covered and at a much reduced rate than you would pay, say, here in the United States for the most part or whatever your native country is. So in the case of transplant patients, it's possible that you can go online 
and uh, requests that you want, say, a kidney transplant, and you've maybe been on uh, the uh, transplant list here in the United States for a period of time, or you maybe just got on the list, but it's going to be two to three years until your transplant organ is able to be procured, waiting for that perfect match. Well, fast forward to what happens in China is that an individual can go online, sign up in the registry, and provide information about what organ you're needing transplant for and providing your information on your genetic needs relative to your blood type and any other information you may have on genotyping or organ transplant um, identification of match. Um, pretty much the same type of process we go through in the United States. However, if you're perusing the site and you are looking to schedule your procedure, it's possible that you can also um, go in and request that you have your transplant scheduled for a period of anywhere from two weeks from that point uh, to the next couple of months. So it's easy access to getting an organ. And people go, well, that sounds kind of cool. Why? And, and reasonable, and why doesn't the United States do that? It's because we don't have a ready supply of organ donors, right? We have a whole different process of ethical acquisition of organs, being that either it's a live donor who is donating, you know, an organ that's not a vital organ, obviously, uh, or it's through the donation process through organ procurement organizations that are highly regulated here in the U.S. and have a very stringent, very strict, very legal, and very ethical uh, set of standards by which those organs are obtained. Unlike China, which after you sign up and you put in your request for the organ, typically Persons are notified that within two to three weeks after they sign into the registry that they have access to um, a date uh, relatively quickly to come to China to get their organ. So the patient shows up uh, after traveling to China for their designated transplant date and uh, they're scheduled into the operating room and uh, the transplant process begins. The patient receiving the organ is placed on the operating table. Uh, adjacent to them then the organ donor, again, being forced, certainly not willfully donating their organ, is rolled into the operating room and the procedure begins for harvesting of whatever the organ was. Now, when we have patients that go to the operating room globally. Anesthetic agents are provided to that patient, given to that patient to number one, uh, be a paralyzing agent so that the body doesn't move. Uh, secondly, there is a conscious sedation uh, medication or a series of medications given so that there's no awareness. In the case of a person who's being forced, they are given a paralytic so they cannot move during the procedure, but they are not given any medication 
for awareness or awareness sedation, conscious sedation. So they are awake essentially to have their organs taken from their body. The reason for that is, is that the belief is that the organs that are being taken will be highly perfused with circulation because during the process of trauma, and you have the flight or fight syndrome. And typically what happens is that you get an increased perfusion, probably from, from uh, the, the research that I've read on this, it's probably about four to six times the perfusion to your lungs, your heart, your brain, your liver, your vital organs, basically. So the perfusion is higher. And the belief is that if the perfusion at the time of the procurement is so high, that that is one of the factors that will reduce rejection uh, in, in the um, person who's receiving that transplanted organ, whatever that organ might be. So <clears throat> in the case of the reason that these patients who are being arrested off the street tested and detained and waiting in, in Chinese prisons for the person who's requesting and needing an organ is that these religious practitioners live very clean, very pure, very health-oriented lives. So their organs are much more considered to be much more viable and uh, highly needed uh, in demand. Uh, through the, the donation to the transplant process. So if you can imagine laying on an operating table, not able to move, but being cut into to have an organ retrieved, what that might do to you as an individual, what, what reaction and, and that gives you a pause in terms of it's unfathomable that this practice would take place. Now, the way that those organs are obtained and um, accessed for a person who's getting the transplant, have no idea that another person was being held or donated their organ without consent. That's a whole nother component that we have to think about from an ethical framework of what that does to an individual if and when they do find that that practice occurred with the way that they were able to get their organ. But the reduction in time to getting an organ is something that we play on this is played upon the psychological manipulation to the person who's in need of that organ because they want to live, right? So it's a psychological manipulation. Um, that we, we have to think about. Then let's say you're coming, the person is coming for kidney transplant, which is the highest volume transplant that's occurring in China, followed by liver transplant. China has near to exceeded the transplant of kidneys uh, catching up to the United States um, in the, the last couple of years. And it's projected that at the rate that kidney transplants are being performed in China, that China will outperform the United States in the conduct of kidney transplants by the year 2024. 
Why is that important to understand? Well, the transplant community, and I have reached out to a number of organizations and, and uh, clinicians that I know that I've worked with before through organ procurement organization um, in another part of the country. Um, and they, they are very reluctant to talk about this whole process and this problem. And I'm not quite sure I understand why uh, they're reluctant to talk about it. They're reluctant to discuss this issue with patients um, and why there's been no stand on speaking out and taking a stand against this forced organ harvesting process. I, I don't understand that, but I'm not here to judge that today to share this information with you, rather to make you aware that we really need to talk about this problem and we need to um, take some action against this problem. So back to the patient that's just had, say, their kidneys transplanted or explanted. Um, it may be that there's multiple patients that need various organs. So they do utilize the multi-organ donation process. So it may be that they're taking lungs and liver and kidneys or whatever um, at, the, at that same time, making use of all of the organs that are there. However, if they're only taking one organ uh, versus multiple, then that patient is awakened uh, by the paralytic being taken away during the procedure and the patient comes to. In some cases, um, there is other harvesting of uh, bones, uh, of tendon and cartilage of corneas that are also taken for the purpose that those can be banked. So in the case of bone harvest, if you look at the situation of how bone harvesting um, evolves, bone harvesting, um, what the way that we see the bone is used uh, and why it can be taken from an individual uh, at the time that they're taking other organs is that that bone is processed and um, manufactured into uh, bovine cadaver graft material uh, or that grafting powder that is used in dental medicine today. Um, when I have gone to and, and spoken with some um, dental uh, folks, a dentist and then an oral surgeon um, for my own dental care, and we get to talking about, you know, the sourcing of cadaver graft material, they'll go in typically, and this has happened several times, they'll go get their, you know, their containers of what they have in stock on their shelf. Of, of cadaver grafting wow. material. And subsequently, when you look at the labeling and the accompanying package insert, there's no uh, disclosure about where that, that graft material came from or the country of origin of that. Rather, it's labeled for the company that distributes the product, which is typically US based. Uh, but there's no disclosure about the source of it. So 
uh, in, in talking to dentists about that, they had no idea about the practice of forced organ harvesting and how the implication of cadaver bone graft material was acquired potentially. So I'm going to kind of switch gears to then what happens post-mortem of these individuals because they're either left to die or in the case of some testimony that one of our um, um, eyewitnesses and certainly one of the survivors who had been arrested, detained, and tested uh, in China and is now uh, living here in the United States after having seeking asylum here, uh, she was pretty vocal about what happens. We also had an eyewitness to this um, form of persecution and human um, um, rights violation in that her parents uh, were Falun Gong practice, practitioners and they had been arrested, detained, tested, and their organs had been taken. And the reason that they knew their organs had been taken in that they got notification that their parents had died and that they needed to come and retrieve their body. When they went to the area that they were told to show up to, to identify the body, there was a container full of ice that they were told to go through this container and identify their family member and subsequently um, take them away and take care of their postmortem care. And when they found in this ice, their father's body, it was still warm. But they noticed that he had a cut from his suprapubic bone up to his sternum uh, that wasn't even sewn shut. It was just an open cavity. And uh, it revealed that he had lost some organs. And he was still bloody. And the blood was coagulated, but his body was warm. And they tried to resuscitate him and they begged for help from the Chinese soldiers that were guarding this area. And um, they, they got no help. Uh, their father was not able to be resuscitated despite quite extensive um, attempts on their part as a family. Their description of the yard where all of these containers and bodies were was a little bit overwhelming because it was multiple bodies, dozens of bodies that had been cast aside basically after their value was exceeded because their organs had already been taken. So these persons had no further contribution to society and were literally put on ice or either shuttled away to be taken care of. So this affects not only the individual that had their life taken being forced to give their organs, but their family members. And uh, certainly with the patient population that we as nurses and physicians and healthcare professionals work with every day, uh, who go and seek transplant tourism outside of the US, we will be interacting with these patients. And we need to take some action relative to how we can address this problem uh, and put a stop 
to this human rights violation, which is an atrocity against humanity, without a doubt. The Academy of Forensic Nursing is committed to improving the communication about this, as well as under, helping people to take action. So we are prepared to create um, a, um, an action-oriented uh, agenda uh, on this topic, and uh, that work is already in place. We recently held a joint summit globally that was attended by over 50,000 people uh, on this topic with a lot of action being requested by people and, and involvement uh, of their, their um, energies and um, expertise. We will be holding a second annual global summit in the fall of, 19, of 2023. I thank you for your attention and the time dedicated to advancing people's knowledge about this problem and hope that you will join us in addressing the atrocity of forced organ harvesting. Thank you.